Our Heavenly Father, again we come before you uh, with great, great thanksgiving and praise for all that you have accomplished all the way back at the beginning, right? Uh, first of all, at the beginning of the creation, uh, the universe and all that's within it, and then with the creation of Adam uh, and then Eve, and then all that followed from that as uh, rebellion entered into this world, but you did not cease your work, Father. And we're thankful that uh, a testimony was laid down over the years and then was ultimately inscribed uh, in Holy Scripture. So, Father, thank you that that book stands before us. It's been preserved largely and uh, quite um, incredibly well. We're so thankful for that. Thank you for gathering us this morning uh, uh, under the sound of your word, of your word, Father. And I pray that any words that uh, I share or that we share together at the end would, would not uh, go contrary to that precious word of truth. Father, I thank you that uh, you've raised up many uh, down through the years, even in our nation. And certainly uh, our nation has in certain ways, which we find quite remarkable, uh, taking a stand for liberties that otherwise were not uh, so visible in this world down through the centuries. So, Father, thank you that you raised this nation up and set it for us. Uh, we realize that <clears throat> the Bible was important to many in our nation's founding, and that's been reflected in our founding documents. Father, I... I and all of us in the group here know well how much the enemy has tried to defeat that purpose to use this nation for yourself, Father. I pray that that would continue in, in the upcoming uh, days leading to the election, that you would continue to raise up those with strong voices and with clear vision and uh, a, a firm foundation uh, to speak truth to the lies that are so prevalently being repeated over and over again. Uh, there are many who've been captured by those lies. Father, I pray that you would work to turn the, the course there in the right direction. And I pray, Father, that you would support our president and those that serve uh, uh, in him, his administration and uh, in the government in general and in all of the governments of our nation on every level. I pray that you would uh, work to support and to guide them and direct them to be wise, but bold with the truth. Uh, so many have turned aside from that and need to hear it repeated again by those that have convictions of spirit and uh, serious interest in the well-being of our people. Father, I, I just pray that you'd protect us as a nation, and guide many, Father, in these dark days in which we live, uh, to yourself and to our Lord Jesus, who is the only hope for mankind in this life, certainly, but also for eternity, the only hope. I pray for our children, Father, many of whom are in college uh, and uh, some in their first year, that list is long, Father, and you know the, all of their names, and we know some of their names, <laughs> but you know all of their names. And, Father, I just 
would commit each one to you. The circumstances will differ for each of them. But uh, it will be a challenge, no doubt, to make friends of the right kind. And uh, I pray, Father, as you did for our own children, you led them and guided them uh, in their first years in college and protected them. I pray that you would protect um, these grandchildren who are now off in uh, the university setting. It's hard for us, perhaps, to comprehend the challenges that they face. But, Father, you know them well. Please guide them, direct them, and protect them. And help them in their studies, Father. And may they not be led astray by by lies that are being propagated there on every side often. Help them, uh, Father, to build a foundation for the future, not just academically, but for their lives, Father, a future uh, and uh, a place to stand in times of trouble. Father, I I just uh, thank you for all those in the group here who are parents who and grandparents, uh, in most cases grandparents of uh, those that are in school, sometimes parents. And Father, um, I pray, Father, that you, you would uh, give them the ability to be a backup, to be a support in prayer and, and then in counseling as needed. And uh, we just commit them to you, Father. So, Father, we just look forward to see how you will work. There are so many issues uh, that face so many. This virus continues on and is still uh, taking its toll. And I pray, Father, for great wisdom on the part of our people and our leaders to deal with these challenges in a proper way. Please bless our opening of the word together now, Father, and we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, what a joy it is to be together with all of you. I <clears throat> I feel a little sad um, as we go to Timothy Again now, and it seems so quickly going through these remaining verses in Paul's first letter to Timothy. Um, today, the subject before us is the establishing of order in the churches in a very practical way. Paul has been writing about that earlier, and we've considered it carefully. He becomes very practical in this section. Uh, establishing order in the churches. There are a number of things that need to be addressed. Timothy is being put into a position of great um, significance. Uh, he'll be, the apostle prays, an example for other leaders in the churches there, as Paul himself has been an example for Timothy and for so many. So that's what we looked at last time, um, how, how Timothy is exhorted to prepare very well for his time of service there. And, and Paul uh, prays that Timothy will be a type or an example, a type even for believers and for leaders in the churches, as Paul himself has already been for so long. So today to consider the specifics of what may be involved 
what Timothy may need to face as uh, the enemy, of course, works full time to destroy the church of the living God. And remember, the church of the living God is the pillar and ground, the pillar and ground of the truth. In fact, we, we, we pray about our nation's circumstances and may forget, perhaps never properly understood, but uh, certainly uh, what the Bible reveals is that the, the churches uh, are really the source of the truth in a nation. And if they are weakened, then, of course, the nation can be expected to turn to other <clears throat> other sources for that which is assumed to be truth, but it's really the lies of the enemy, right? And so we see that multiplying in our nation due to the weakness of the the uh, <clears throat> the churches over the years here. So Paul has a strong sense of how that might happen in his own day. And so he, and the church is young, very young relatively at that time. So um, Timothy is being strongly exhorted to establish and then maintain the proper order in the churches. It's really the theme of the whole letter, as we have already seen. Several themes that are interwoven here in a very wonderful way. And I'm sure after we've spent all this time here, you've begun to sense those different themes and to know them well. And certainly uh, the letter is a blessing to us as the Spirit teaches us these precious truths, isn't it? Okay. So just by matter of review, quickly, um, Timothy in our last lesson was seen to be encouraged very strongly to minister words of faith, good doctrine, and uh, that good doctrine, of course, would express the faith delivered unto the saints. Uh, he was exhorted to attend himself to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, that word doctrine mentioned again. In fact, that's the key word in, in that whole teaching last time, the word doctrine. And then finally, Timothy was exhorted to take heed to that doctrine for himself, that he might be uh, able to be an example for others and to promote, and there he uses the word salvation. <laughs> and uh, to promote salvation is a precious thing indeed, is it not? And uh, the word is used in several different ways in this letter. Certainly it's used of salvation in the sense of uh, redemption from sin and its penalties. But Paul also uses the word to refer to that which is beneficial in other regards. So for believers, it would be be saved from the uh, the uh, attacks of the enemy. That's a form of salvation. And for unbelievers, just to be blessed by being in an orderly society. And uh, we see that reflected in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We looked at some of the verses there uh, carefully last time. One of them is where Paul writes that he says, we, meaning he and others who minister boldly the truth of grace, he says, we both labor 
and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men. And then he says, especially of those that believe. <laughs> okay, so yes, indeed, Christ Jesus is the savior of all, and certainly those that believe, uh, they are the ones uh, upon whom the blessing will fall in ways that are even eternal, right? So not only in this life, but eternally. Um, so Paul exhorts Timothy not to be a hypocrite in any fashion at all, but to take to heart uh, the words that he will be uh, sharing with others, the words of grace and truth. Um, there are many ways in which this word doctrine is used. Um, I should say many places it's used. The word maintains its fundamental meaning of being a methodical communication of the truth of God. And that's what a doctrine is, a methodical communication of the, uh, the, the nature and work of Almighty God, right? There are also doctrines of dem devils, demons, that he mentions, and the doctrines of men that he refers to. Those are all quite contrary to the doctrine of God that Timothy is to take to heart himself and then to share with uh, with all that the Lord brings him in contact with. Um, there are a couple of verses I'll just read. They, they, they summarize this whole thing so well, this focus on doctrine here in this letter. First Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Okay, so Timothy is warned that it will be difficult times ahead as uh, Satan unleashes his entire league, really, of spiritual forces and then those that willingly submit to his power. And he's going to unleash them against those that ha that bear the truth of God. First uh, Timothy 4.13, he exhorts Timothy to give attention to doctrine. And then in 4.16, which we'll read again in a moment, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And then... In the next letter, Paul will write this to Timothy. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Okay, so <clears throat> we'll leave our review portion behind uh, with a reading uh, that I'd like to uh, Gail to do for us there in First Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, and thy profiting may appear to all. 
Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Okay. Thank you very much, Gail. So that is a powerful exhortation to Timothy. And I'm, I'm sure he did take it to heart, though his nature certainly needed encouragement often. No question about that, right? Uh, his nature was to be timid, not bold. And uh, one must be bold uh, in sharing the doctrine. Okay, so that's uh, what we looked at last time. Now, today I'd like us to look to chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. So we have a bit of reading to do here. There are four parts here. I've divided it up in four ways. Most of it is about widows in one way or another. Um, but um, it's introduced uh, here in the first couple of verses where Paul doesn't address the widows specifically, but all of those, whether old or young, whether men or women, right? And uh, that's the first uh, couple of verses where we see that uh, the apostle exhorts Timothy personally. It's a very personal kind of exhortation. He, he exhorts Timothy to show proper respect to men or women, whether older or younger, okay? And so uh, whatever, this is not directed towards the children, but to those of, uh, of mature age, whether older or younger. So Timothy has to be very careful. I think there will be many challenges, one-on-one -on -one personal issues that will come up in his ministry, and he needs to have a godly view of his uh, responsibility within the churches, uh, whatever the age might be of the person. Secondly, he is to honor widows indeed, widows indeed, in a special manner indeed. <laughs> okay. Thirdly, the widows indeed must be properly provided for. And we'll look into that as we go along here. It's really the major subject of the chapter. And then finally, younger widows should never become dependent on the churches. Hmm. Um, there's much in this passage that many today in our current age would take some issue with, no doubt, uh, because they don't have a godly view on how God uh, works in uh, and through the church of the living God. They, they, they do not understand even how God works in society and in culture, and how he has done so from the beginning uh, with the proper emphasis on marriage and on family. And uh, so so many today are so willing to cast those things aside, for some entirely cast them aside, and, uh, and in no way um, are they willing to respect God and his creative uh, work to to create those that he can use in the way that he has determined, right? So marriage and family is right in the center of the work of God. And those that turn against marriage and family will, of course, also be turning against uh, God in his revealed plan. 
so much of the emphasis here will be on widows, and we'll see why that is um, as we go along. So first of all, uh, let's begin uh, to see what Paul says to Timothy regarding the proper relationships that Timothy should have with uh, those in the churches, whether in leadership or not. Okay, so please read, Linda, the first two verses for uh, us out of First Timothy chapter 5. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity. Well, thank you, Linda, for reading those first two verses. <clears throat> you see that this is not about widows uh, particularly. In fact, it's about all adults in the congregation, um, whatever their age might be. And uh, it's, it's a strong, it's maybe you might even consider it to be too strong because elders may very well need to be <laughs> rebuked <laughs> under certain circumstances. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, remember, we already uh, looked at that, but uh, the elders from the church in Ephesus, and Timothy was apparently in Ephesus at this time, when this letter was written to him, overseeing the church there. But um, the elders came to meet Paul. He was on his way to Jerusalem, finishing up that missionary journey. And uh, he even told them that some of them would become instruments of the enemy. Right? So rebuking elders sometimes is necessary. But here, just as a general exhortation, he says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. Notice he had to add that there. <laughs> the younger as sisters with all purity. Paul very strongly uh, introduces the whole passage by saying that there need to be proper interpersonal relationships and that Purity, honor, holiness need to be uh, at the center of our relationships. Because why? Because the enemy of our souls is always seeking an advantage, right? And he wants to destroy relationships and he wants to pervert them if he can, right? And we see that in the world in which we live. We see it in the churches uh, and we've seen it uh, down through history, right? So. It's a very high standard in general to, to use this familial language, I think, it must have meant a lot to Timothy because, remember, he uh, was raised up by a godly mother and a godly grandmother, right? And he had a very special place in his heart for them. And I think that's communicated in the second letter in chapter one, where he is uh, reminded of his mother and grandmother with whom he had a special relationship with. And uh, that was to uh, help quiet his spirit regarding the challenges uh, that he was facing in the churches, right? <clears throat> that God does work through the family. It's a critical part of his work. And therefore, Paul wants Timothy to 
keep in mind these most fundamental things that must never be forgotten, really. Okay, so that's the first section there. I I think that uh, the rest of the section being about widows needs to be put into that context that he's uh, created there just in the first two verses. Otherwise, we might sort of miss the point. Uh, he's speaking uh, about relationships in general, but then for some reason, and I think it, it had to do with uh, the knowledge that, that Paul had about what challenges Timothy was facing at the time, or maybe he was just uh, prophetic in this regard, that he knew what challenges Timothy would face, but right in the center of the challenges would be this issue of widows in the church and how their issues were to, which were very special, needed to be managed well. If not, the enemy would gain great advantages. Okay, so the rest is all about widows. Now, why would that B might be a good question. Why such a focus on the widows? Well, Paul does not go into it in this section. He does write about it in other places. He writes a lot about martyrdom and how they should expect the trials of uh, living as a believer in the coming days would be so great that... Uh, some would perish in the process, right? And, uh, and in fact, um, Paul himself did, right, as we all well know. And uh, at least uh, tradition indicates that Timothy did as well uh, perish and were martyred, right? So what does that do? It leaves widows often, right? They may be young. They may not be young. They may be older. Right. And uh, I am so sure that this was so much on Paul's mind that he just very personally wondered, you know, about Timothy and his ability to be well prepared for what might be coming down the pike, as it were. And times were going to be more difficult than he could even imagine. And so the next section here, verses uh, three through eight, is about honoring the widows that he calls widows indeed in a very, very special way. Okay, so, Linda, please read those verses for us, verses 3 through 8 in 1 Timothy 5. Honor, honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show pity at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow... Indeed, and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Very strong words there. Thank you so much, Linda, for reading that section for us. So caring for widows, and in particular those that he designates as widows indeed, that's the main focus here. Who are the widows indeed? Uh, well, he says something about them, right? 
They're the ones who have been qualified by their lives, right? Generation by generation. And when they're widowed, they qualify for the status of being widows indeed because (laughs) their works follow them. That language I picked out of uh, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. But (laughs) it's a common uh, circumstance down through the ages that those that... uh, honor God in their lives, they have works that follow them, as it were. In other words, uh, they are known, well-known, probably by everyone, not only in the church, but outside. They're well-known because of their godliness and how that has uh, changed their lives permanently, right? So he says those are widows indeed uh, who have proven themselves in their living, right? It says here in verse 5, Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. Desolate. Widows indeed do not include the widows who have wealth and are able to care for themselves. Okay. Um they're not desolate, okay? These are the ones who are, who really have no means of support in this world and are totally cast upon uh, God and live their lives, it says here, uh, trusting in God and continuing in prayer night and day. But there are other widows who are not living in that mode, and he that gives a quick overview there of what they are like. They're dead while they live with living in pleasure, he says. Um, Okay, he's requiring, therefore, that those who are admitted into this special group uh, of those that will be supported by the churches, right, they must be blameless and must uh, have lives that, that accredit them well, right? And uh, the others uh, will not be accepted, he says. Okay, well, we live in a culture today where uh, there are many safety nets, uh, so-called. So there are fewer, but there's still some, of course, maybe a great many. But certainly there are fewer who are uh, in the circumstance because there are those systems even within government to care for them. And uh, that was not the case in uh, ancient times, okay? In ancient times, widows were often uh, cast to their own devices and may have been found, therefore, to be beggars in the streets because if there was no one in their own family to care for them, then they would be on their own, right? Uh, They have, have no choice, as it were, but to... Uh, survive as best they could, and uh, that would provide many temptations to turn aside, even for believers, uh, to uh, ways of life that were not honoring the Lord. Okay, so that was the circumstance in ancient times, and uh, because of that, it may have been true that widows were not held in high regard in the culture of the day, 
uh, I can only imagine that that may very well have been the case. But Paul is exhorting that that be something uh, not found in the churches, that rather in the churches, widows would be properly cared for. And what he says here is that there's an order of responsibility. Uh, you only get down to the church's responsibility if all of the other uh, uh, <clears throat> means of support have been exhausted, right? So first of all, he says the family itself uh, is responsible to care for this woman once her husband is no longer able to provide the, the help needed. If the family, meaning elders or youngers, even even uh, he says children or nephews, right? Um, if they're not able or unwilling, then uh, there may be someone else, but in most cases there would be no one, right? And so that person, if she is blameless, as indicated here, should be considered uh, to be appropriate and welcomed into the uh, support that the church itself uh, would need to offer. The last thing uh, would be if the church were unwilling to do that. So Paul exhorts Timothy very strongly to ensure that that is not the case, right? Even infidels, <laughs> he, he, he implies, um, have uh, familial uh, and brotherly love, right, uh, for their own, right? <laughs> you, not only believers might have those kinds of concerns for their own, but even unbelievers often do, right? So he says, how can it be less than the, in the churches? How can it be less than the churches? I mean, surely the testimony of the church uh, requires that widows be properly cared for. Okay. Well, we go on further in the next couple of verses. They need to be properly cared for. Uh, and he gives some, some further information on this that will lead into that final section here in verses 9 and 10. So, uh, Sarah, would you please read 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. A widow is to be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Thank you, Sarah. Well, he mentions that they must be blameless earlier, but here's even more detail on what that means as the apostle sees it, right? So he mentions the age directly, right? Um, not under 60 years old. Okay, interesting. And uh, having been the wife of one man, this, this language is, is uh, exactly parallel to what Paul states regarding men who are highly qualified in ministry. He says of them in several places, you know, that they must be a man of one wife, a man of one woman, a one woman kind of man, right, is what that means. It's not talking about marriage, divorce, remarriage directly here. And I, I believe it's this is a more profound and deeper kind of thing that 
a man is a man of one woman or he's not, right? A woman is a woman of one man or she's not, right? I think we, we know what that means, right? And so he, he writes that here as a, a requirement for entering into the uh, special class here of women who have lost their husbands who are now to be supported by the church. Uh, he also reiterates in, in all of these ways uh, how that kind of woman has lived her life. And uh, he gives some details which are interesting, right? Um, so she's well known in the group, in other words, and distinguished in her uh, life uh, during her married years, right? Well, now... <laughs> He's going to go on and he's going to be very detailed in uh, considering others who one might have thought would be eligible to be considered as part of this special group uh, who've lost their husbands. And so that's in the last section here, verses 11 through 16. So, Anne, would you uh, read those verses for us, please? But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary, ad adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and, not, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Uh, thank you, Anne. So verse 16 summarizes the whole thing, right? Uh, <clears throat> there is this this uh, sort of order, who's most responsible and how if that fails, others bear the burden. And finally, the church, right? Uh, <clears throat> verse 16 summarizes that. So family first uh, and, uh, and then... Uh, <clears throat> You know, the elders in the family, then the children, right, as, as they've grown up and become independent. Uh, and then finally, if there's no one else, the church. But the the emphasis here is on this age distinction. Uh, and I believe very strongly that it's impossible to properly comprehend this exhortation without keeping in mind what Paul has written before in this letter. In chapter 2, remember what he wrote there in chapter 2? And we spent seven of our studies on this subject, right? It's, he says there that women uh, will be saved through their childbearing if they continue, right? And if raising the children and uh, training them up. Right. He doesn't say anything there uh, about how the ultimate uh, course of all of that will go. He's talking about the mothers and their own uh, responsibilities uh, in marriage and family. Right. 
but there's no question Paul is committed to this concept totally right <clears throat> because God has established these orders in the creation right and uh, the women are specifically ever since Genesis 3:16 right uh, set forth to be the ones to manage uh, the bearing of the children and uh, the uh, the uh, upbringing of the children in special ways that only the mothers are enabled to do. They're enabled by God to do this, right? So uh, this is something Paul is absolutely committed to. Now, why is he so strong in the words that he uses here? You might wonder. Verse 11 but the younger widows refuse, for when they've begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Well, you might say, well, that's a good thing, right? Because doesn't he want them to marry? No, he's talking about those who have been received into the special uh, participation of, of the blessings. They've lost their husbands, right? Now they've been brought into the fellowship, and they're being supported by the church itself, right? He's talking about those, okay? And uh, it's it's very clear that uh, he believes that those should dedicate their lives to the service and to the ministry, okay? It's like a special class of missionaries. In fact, that's what it is, right? So these who've lost their husbands perhaps through persecution, perhaps otherwise, right? War, uh, illness, whatever. <clears throat> if they've been received into the fellowship and they're now being supported by the church, the expectation is they're going to carry on in perhaps practical, but perhaps in other ways, ministry uh, for the sake of Christ. And so if they turn aside from that, they're turning aside from the course that God has established for them personally for their lives. And that's the whole point of the section. So he says, if they're younger widows, uh, they're able to marry and bear children and raise ch godly children. This is exactly what God wants for them. That's what Paul is saying. They should not be brought in and become part of the special ministerial class within the church because it's not going to be appropriate for them. God has physically and emotionally constituted them for a different purpose. That's what he's saying here, right? And so, yes, does God choose some to go off into missionary work when they're younger? Absolutely. That's not the circumstance he's talking about here. He's talking about those that would want to enter in and be supported by the church after having lost their husbands. And he says it's far better for them, and it's far better for the church and its ministry if they will seek a, another husband and remarry and live a godly life uh, as uh, the mother of her children and as the wife uh, of uh, another husband, right? It's very clear. That's something the apostle believes so strongly. But how can we understand it properly without understanding the whole uh, issue of women that Paul addresses in chapter 2? 
and uh, verses 15 and 16, right? Uh, so if you're still wondering about that, go back, listen to those seven messages where we spent a lot of time on that subject. Remember, I called believers prisoners of hope, and it was a special term I used for the women. What was the special hope they had or should have had? <laughs> what is the special hope that women today should have? Well, go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and you'll know it well, right? <clears throat> Prisoners of hope. There were consequences of Eve's rebellion. There were greater consequences of Adam's. <laughs> Adam's sin brought the whole world into condemnation, right? Eve's transgression brought childbearing and its joys and trials into her life and those of her descendants, right? So God has a purpose for men. He has a purpose for women. The two go together. They work together perfectly when the two are godly and uh, walk with the Lord, right? That's the whole point of it. Now, in the world around us, we see little of that. Uh, certain Certain uh, issues seem to dominate, and they tend to be contrary to the work of God and to his eternal glory, right, and grace. Okay, so living under grace, it's the whole message here, living under grace doesn't conflict with the principles that have been laid down since Adam's fall, right? Uh, there's a way it all works together within the authority structure that God has uh, placed within the creation itself and within mankind, within human governments, in marriage and family. It all fits together perfectly, even though we're now living under the dispensation of the grace of God. Satan wants advantages <clears throat> to accomplish his purpose. So he seeks to destroy the family. He destroys marriages and uh, he uh, causes disruptions within the fellowship uh, with uh, uh, division, with false teaching, even satanic lies. And uh, all of this, those in authority in the churches need to um, address and manage well with the power and authority God has given to them. And ultimately, it comes down to teaching the true doctrine and living accordingly under the teaching that is shared, right? In other words, hypocrisy is to be banished always from the local church, right? So that's the teaching here today, uh, much about widows, that they might be widows indeed, and uh, under the circumstances God has brought into their lives uh, live an honorable life and uh, to be in ministry accordingly, right? What a blessing it is to those who accept that challenge and that privilege. They're prisoners of hope indeed in special ways, right? Well, praise the Lord for that. Uh, that finishes up this chapter, I think. And uh, are there any questions or comments uh, today?
Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for gathering us into the sound of your word. The words written to Timothy are encouraging, but the teaching is strong teaching indeed, and the challenges that he would face would be so great that without this encouragement from the Apostle Paul and the guidance and direction given, uh, Timothy would surely uh, fail in his uh, uh, ministry as it develops over time. So, uh, Father, we know even in our own day the same challenges. So, Father, please bless uh, each one uh, of us here in our group and all those that may listen into this later, that they might uh, find your support, uh, your encouragement, your and your empowering and your protection as they also seek to live in the circumstances that you have brought to them, whatever they may be. There are many trials in this life, many burdens to be borne. Yes, indeed. We have not yet been delivered from them, but uh, the day will come, and perhaps it is this day, that we will be caught up into heaven's glory, leaving these trials and tribulations permanently behind. So, Father, I pray that until that day, until that hour, uh, you would continue to remind us that we're prisoners of that great hope and that you'd work out uh, your will in and through us uh, in our nation, uh, in our marriages, in our families, and uh, in the church, and that you'd be honored and glorified now and always. So, Father, thank you for your grace and its sufficiency always. In Christ's name, and amen, and amen.